Howdy, welcome to Aggie Theatre Corner. We're your hosts, Cassidy and Sung. Today's topic is over neoclassicism. We sent out a poll on our Instagram, and the question most requested to be answered is... Drumroll, please. Where can neoclassical rules be found in modern American theatre and productions? Wow, that's a great question. Well, to start off, we need to take a look back to Aristotle in Greece. He was one of the first to lay out the rules for what a proper theater play should follow. These rules were known as Aristotle's Poetics. Absolutely. Although no one really followed Aristotle's Poetics until Italian scholars found a renewed value in older texts, Aristotle's words were translated to Italian in 1549 to be used as ideals for Italian theater. The Italian scholars focused on aspects such as verisimilitude, decorum, purity of genre, and the three unities. If you're confused about what each of these stand for, don't worry about it. We were too when we first heard about it from our favorite professor, Professor Raina Dexter at Texas A&M University. Hey, whoop! First off, verisimilitude translates to true to life, which focuses on real observable behavior. For example, there can be no ghosts, gods, or random choreographed musical numbers. I'm calling you out, High School Musical. The second part is decorum, which is about the characters in the play following social norms and protocols. There is no situation in which a person from a lower classification can condemn, slander, or punish someone from a high social class. Thirdly, the purity of genre is about making sure that different genres would never mix, such as tragedy and comedy coming together is a big no-no, no comic relief. And the final rule for Aristotle's poetics is the three unities, which is that events must take place in the same day, place, and have one single plot. These guidelines was what dictated most of the Italian neoclassical movement. And now we're going to travel to the West in France and see how they interpret it. That's right. While both Italy and France were the most heavily influenced by neoclassicism, both had their defining points. France was heavily influenced by Italy's neoclassical ideals and were a little late to the theater game due to the religious war between the Catholics and the French Protestants. As far as what they had in common, the French kept verisimilitude, decorum, purity of genre, and the three unities. The French did take neoclassicism a little further by adding more to their interpretation of Aristotle's poetics. First off, there is no deus machina, which translates to no god of machine. This basically means that the plot's conflict cannot be resolved by a god swooping down from below and solving everyone's problem, or the king sending a messenger with a decree that magically solves the conflict. I'm looking at you, Moliere, having the king jump in to save the day in Tartuffe, but we'll get to that later. The next added rule is that there shouldn't be any soliloquies. If you're new to the theater world, a soliloquy is an aside where the speaker is still in the presence of another character that cannot hear the speaker while they speak directly to the audience. Soliloquies tended to break the verisimilitude rule since they aren't true to life and thus were no longer allowed. Plays were also restricted to five acts. Act one is the composition, act three is the climax, and lastly, act five is the resolution. If you want to see an example of this pattern, you can look at Shakespearean plays since they follow this style. Finally, the French believed that the drama's purpose was to teach as well as entertain. There was to be lessons in the play. A common lesson was that bad people do not prevail, justice always wins, the good guy always comes out on top. Like I said, we get to Moliere's play Tartuffe. This play caused a good bit of controversy mainly because it was viewed as an attack on the church, however it is a prime example of following neoclassical rules. It adheres to the three unities, depicts real behavior, and does not cross genres. Some rules, however, were a bit stretched in that the maid, Doreen, made comments and quips to those in a higher class than hers. Though she is the voice of reason, so she contributes to the logic and reason in the play. 
Furthermore, the play's conflict is resolved when, at the last possible second, a messenger of the king reveals that Tartuffe is to be punished for his crimes because the king is no not a fool enough to believe Tartuffe and that Orgon and his family are saved. We're going to show you a clip of that real quick. Sir, all is well. Rest easy and be grateful. We serve a prince to whom all sham is hateful. A prince who sees into our inmost hearts and can't be fooled by any trickster's arts. This does tend to break the No Deus Machina rule, but Moliere gets away with it. Now we're going to switch back to Sung as he brings us to England and the effects of neoclassicism there. Thanks, Cassidy. So Italian and French neoclassicism was influenced to not only their own country, but also abroad in England, where King Charles II was reinstituted as King of England and began what's now known as Restoration Drama. Restoration Drama in England had theater return to not only neoclassical ideals, such as the Three Unities, but also turned back to old playwrights such as Shakespeare, but would update them to modern standards. However, neoclassical rules such as decorum would often be dismissed by plots such as jealous husbands, clever servants engaged in games of seduction, and cast-off mistresses. This break from neoclassical rules gave playwrights the opportunity to explore themes such as fashion, marriage as a social contract, masculinity, and social difference. Furthermore, restoration plays would delve deeper into adulterous love and morality through the lens of comedy, which was quite popular since England had just come out of Puritan parliamentary rule, which had forbidden public plays and kept a tight grip on what these plays were about. The English restoration comedies helped to distinguish English theater from both French and Italian neoclassicism and establish itself as its own movement. So now that we know a bit of the history and what to look for, we can see where neoclassicism is present in the productions of today. The most easy to spot is that episodes of most television series take place in one day and follow a single outline plot. But most shows and movies definitely do not take place in only one location. Although American theater as a whole, whether it be movies or TV shows, is more on the realism side, so we can definitely see some of the verisimilitude rule coming into play. As far as decorum, America doesn't have set rules and guidelines on how each class is supposed to interact with one another. So what is deemed socially acceptable behavior is far more lax nowadays than it was in the neoclassical age. And we can just about throw purity of genre out the window since there are not any movies that do not make genres at some point. Somber movies and horror movies have comedic relief, rom-coms and pure comedies have points of seriousness in their storyline. Genres are heavily mixed in our theatrical culture and don't follow the neoclassical ideals. I think that's all the time we have and a good place to wrap up. Well, folks, we really hope that you enjoyed this week's podcast and the interesting topic of neoclassicism. Tune in next Thursday on the Aggie Theater Corner. And as always, check out Instagram and Twitter to vote on our next discussion topic. Thanks and, and giggum! giggum.